Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to our podcast series for St. Patrick Catholic Community on the Beatitudes. I'm John Konachek, Director of Adult Formation and Parish Spirituality. The purpose of each of these podcasts is to invite us to a deeper understanding of the Beatitudes, as well as how they can shape our Christian discipleship. In our prayer with the Beatitudes, we ask God to touch our hearts so that we might pattern our lives in a way that most genuinely echoes Jesus' message given us in the Gospels. St. Patrick Catholic Community is involved in Family Promise of Greater Phoenix. Family Promise is a program that rescues primarily first-time homeless families from the streets. Well, generally speaking, we host four families at a time. And provides emergency shelter. They're going to be sleeping in, uh, they'll have separate rooms, and we've got some beds for them that we get from Family Promise. And for basic needs designed to assist their return to self-sufficiency. We have two families who are bringing pot roast, and they'll serve family style. Last night they actually worked on homework because children had just gone back to school and then they had children create some uh, notes for their parents about their experience of the day. I'm Joe Rutt and uh, my wife and I, Paula, are the coordinators for St. Pat's for Family Promise. I'm Kathy Kaplan. I work here at St. Pat's in social justice and outreach. Family Promise has been a wonderful ministry for my wife and I. We've been able to meet uh, plenty of parishioners and In the process of helping uh, these homeless families, we've been able to get to know the families themselves and have many experiences where, where we could share our compassion for them. And I think that one of the most important things about Family Promise is that in a very short time, 11 or 12 weeks, people who are experiencing homelessness and may even be slightly despondent at that time are able to rebound. Uh, They have great resilience, and uh, in that time they're able to find a job, uh, have their children back in school, and very much uh, find an apartment. And that is because uh, the programs that Family Promise offers are supportive in all of these areas. So this... Beatitude is the fifth one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How have the two of you found and how have you experienced it in all of the people who participate, both St. Pat's people who work and also the families that you serve? How do you find that you have brought God's mercy into the parish and into the lives of these people? I I think the biggest thing that happens, it's a transformation for everybody that works along with the families, and we're just on a journey with them through that transformation. And they're in all different places. They come in and out of the program. In the past, we've done it for two weeks, and we actually get to know families, and some of them are actually with us for two weeks. And we have a core team as well as a myriad of 
volunteers from the church that do multiple activities through feeding, but just taking care of these people. And in that process, I think uh, we all kind of come together and, and really see how we're, we're all in the same boat. And I think the other thing that we see is that the families themselves act as sort of a larger family themselves. They get to know each other over time. We get to know them. And you can really have some in-depth conversations with them even about what their experience when you know with at their level they'll they'll come in and share with us uh, what their experience and and we can be a comfort and i think that's the saint pat's family is great at providing comfort for these families we uh we provide great meals a lot of companionship a good place to for the families to to gather uh, and i think it's a safe place too i think that's uh really important for them. And by the time they leave, there's a little bit of crying that goes on. <laughs> I would expect that. So Kathy, you've, you've been doing social outreach for a while now. And what have you found that in the Family Promise Ministry, how has that shaped or developed your understanding of what Christian mercy or gospel mercy is about? I think that whenever you have an opportunity to walk a journey with an individual, uh, it absolutely positively affects how you will interact with those who follow. I think the two most profound things that I've noticed is you might have a woman who comes into Family Promise and comes to stay with us who makes no eye contact with you. But by the end of that stay, as you've had an opportunity to come to know each other and uh, to have a conversation, she'll come in and share, I found a job. A young child who doesn't really participate, who is kind of standoffish, who one night runs to you and when you pick him up, his head kind of nuzzles into your neck and you feel, okay, this child will be okay. Uh, he's begun to trust again. He's in a safe place. And I think that that's, to me, the most rewarding part of my experience. It's transformative, not just for the people who come to us from Family Promise, but for us. Uh, and we change uh, as we become more empathetic and more compassionate. And I believe that in this beatitude, which is dealing with mercy, is that you could substitute the word love. Blessed are those who give love, for they too shall receive it. Because what we are putting out in love to these families, we receive back tenfold. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In this fifth beatitude, we find the only example of the word of the blessing, or the first part of the beatitude, that is also the reward in the second half of the phrase. Those who are merciful will be shown mercy. Mercy gets a lot of mileage in Catholic literature and tradition. Most of us are aware of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy that are associated with Matthew 25. These gestures of compassion offered by Jesus while important features of the kingdom proclaimed by Jesus, are of course rooted in Old Testament scripture. For Christians, the works of mercy range from feeding the hungry, to burying the dead, to bearing patiently with those who wrong us. Pope Francis, in 2016, 
added a new work of mercy, which is the care of creation. Mercy for creation, for Pope Francis, involves daily gestures which break with the logic of violence to the earth and to people, of exploitation and selfishness. Mercy is a word with which we are most familiar through its liturgical use. Known as the Kyrie eleison, it is part of the penitential rite near the beginning of the Mass, where we say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. This penitential rite suggests that here we focus on mercy as being associated with God's unconditional love through the forgiveness of sins. And although forgiveness is one of the meanings associated with mercy, gospel mercy embraces significantly broader concepts more than just forgiveness of sins. Another use of the Lord have mercy supports this idea. The other liturgical location where we find the words Lord have mercy is part of the litany of saints during the Easter vigil as part of the rites for the celebration of the sacraments of initiation. Rather than just sinfulness, in this case, the eleison, or the mercy, leans more towards God's presence and guidance. We proclaim that God has been present in the lives of these catechumens who are about to pass through the waters of baptism. As the song of the entire assembly at the Easter Vigil, we understand that God has been guiding not just the catechumens in front of us, but generations of people of faith. The term merciful that is used in the fifth beatitude only appears one other time in the New Testament in Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Mercy, however, is woven throughout the entire Bible. Matthew is very aware of its use in the Jewish tradition, and it is especially important for him as a disciple. In chapter 9 of the Gospel of Matthew, verse 13, Jesus says to him, follow me he calls Matthew to discipleship. Only a few lines later, after the Pharisees condemned Jesus and his disciples for eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus instructs the Pharisees to learn the meaning of the phrase, I wish mercy and not sacrifice, citing Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Gospel, mercy, therefore, and discipleship are bound together. And this mercy, which is essential to discipleship, indicates loyalty to God. In other words, our acts of mercy are concrete expressions of loyalty to God and to what God desires of Jesus' followers. My favorite definition of mercy comes from Father James Keenan, a Jesuit professor of theological ethics at Boston College and one of the leading scholars of moral theology. For Father Keenan, Mercy is the willingness to enter into the chaos of another. God, who is mercy, first shows mercy to us and expects mercy from us toward another. Now let's do a little digging into the meaning of mercy in the fifth beatitude. While followers of Jesus are supposed to show mercy to everyone, the placement of mercy in this fifth beatitude after the first four is significant for the way we perceive to whom this mercy is directed. As we heard in the first Beatitude podcast, the eight Beatitudes can be divided into two sets of four. The first four Beatitudes identify persons who seek the promise of rescue from or reversal of 
desperate situations, and here we find guidance. The poor in spirit are those who are crushed under the complete hopelessness of their poverty. Those who mourn are grieving because of a death of a loved one and also find no hope in life and no cause for joy. The meek are those who are without power, those who are lowly and who live with humiliation due to their situation. They lack a share in the fruits of the goodness of creation. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness seek the basic needs for living and human dignity. These are persons who are starved for justice. So, when we arrive at those who are declared blessed in the fifth through eighth Beatitudes, we must look back at the first four to truly understand the identity of the recipients of these blessings. Matthew's gospel is so very rich that we don't have to rely on just the Beatitudes to see examples of Jesus' mercy for those who are suffering. The parables Jesus used also indicate the mercy that is expected from his followers. And again, while we always want to live lives that reveal God's mercy to everyone, there are specific ways of being merciful that truly identify gospel mercy. This type of mercy goes beyond just being forgiving. I find six characteristics of gospel mercy that call us to live our baptismal faith beyond that of what we might call simple kindness to another person or forgiveness towards someone who has offended us. The first characteristic found in gospel mercy is that of compassion. There are abundant examples in which Jesus was moved with compassion or took pity on someone who was suffering. Compassion starts with being impacted or moved or even startled by another's plight. Jesus noticed the predicament of persons he met and healed them. There is an openness to being attentive to suffering. Mercy comes from a heart that is not indifferent, but rather a heart that is open to and moved by the suffering of another. The next characteristic of gospel mercy is physical interaction. Gospel mercy requires corporal encounter. We frequently see Jesus reaching out to persons who are suffering, healing them with his touch. He extends the physicality of the incarnation to more than God just becoming human. This person of Jesus embraces humanity as an extension of the incarnation. He brings physical healing, presence, and mercy. Another characteristic of gospel mercy is that it is truly gift for the specific person who is in need of mercy. For those burdened by sin, he brings forgiveness. For those suffering from illness, he cures them. For those who are blind, he gives sight. Jesus offers them the particular gift of mercy for their particular situation. It's not a general gesture of mercy, but rather one that is deeply personal. A fourth characteristic is that the mercy Jesus offers is status changing. It is not simply that he heals someone who is afflicted by leprosy. He restores them to a state of wholeness within society. He not only helps the woman who is known as a prostitute, Jesus removes her from a status of shame and exclusion to one of restoring her dignity as a person. The next characteristic of gospel mercy is the inability for reciprocity. With gospel mercy, the compassion shown on the part of Jesus has no chance 
of being reciprocated. Those who are the recipients of mercy are not in any situation of being able to pay back the gesture that has changed their lives. The final characteristic of gospel mercy is that it somehow offers us an image of the kingdom that Jesus proclaims. It shows us the true radical nature of the kingdom, of how the suffering of those in the first four Beatitudes will no longer exist. A wonderful example of the mercy that Jesus expects in the Beatitudes can be found with the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. At the beginning of the passage, Peter asks, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Jesus offers a parable about a king's servant who owes the king 10,000 talents. Following common law at the time, since the servant cannot pay back the debt, he and his family and all that he has are to be sold. The servant begs for another chance. So the master takes pity on him and forgives him the loan, which in today's value would be somewhere in the neighborhood of over a billion dollars. The same servant then went to a fellow servant who owed him a small amount. When the fellow servant begged for mercy, rather than forgiveness of the debt, he was thrown into prison. Upon learning about the incident, the king severely punished the first unmerciful servant. The point that Jesus is making here is that God's mercy must be seen in our own actions of mercy. We are the recipients of God's mercy first. What is required of us is to extend that same gift we have been given. According to the fifth beatitude, we must be merciful as God is merciful. God has placed many persons in the life of the church who have exemplified gospel mercy. There was one in particular who encountered some of the most vulnerable of children in the United States and attempted to draw them out of the cycle of poverty. The compassion and care she showed them through her Catholic schools and orphanages could never be repaid. That person was Elizabeth Ann Seton. We're very fortunate today to have Sharon Fabianic with us, who is coordinator of Elementary Formation and Young Disciples. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about our saint for the fifth beatitude, Elizabeth Ann Seton. Thank you for being here. Thank you, John. Elizabeth Ann Seton was born in 1774 and the daughter of a prominent physician. At the age of 19, she married William Seton, whose family owned a successful import business. Together, they had two sons and three daughters. Through most of their married life, her husband suffered from tuberculosis. In 1803, after suffering severe business losses, including bankruptcy, William's health deteriorated rapidly, and he soon died. At this point, she desperately needed a way to support her family. After much prayer and counseling from Archbishop John Carroll, Elizabeth accepted an offer from the president of St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore to establish a school for girls. She moved to Baltimore in 1808 and opened a small school. This modest beginning marked the start of the Catholic parochial school system in the United States. Within a year, a number of other women joined her in forming a religious order whose primary mission was teaching poor children. On July 31, 1809, the group began community life as the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph. 
In 1810, the sisters adopted rules written by St. Vincent de Paul for the Daughters of Charity in France, which emphasized seeking out those in need to alleviate their suffering and deprivation. Word of the sisters' talents and good work spread quickly, and soon Mother Seton was besieged by requests for help in setting up parochial schools to serve the growing population of Americans. In 1814, the Sisters of Charity began opening free Catholic schools and orphanages all along the East Coast. Mother Seton died at the age of 46 in 1821, yet the members of her community continued her work. In 1830, the Sisters were running orphanages and schools as far west as Cincinnati and New Orleans and had established the first hospital west of the Mississippi in St. Louis. Elizabeth Ann Seton, founder of the American Sisters of Charity, was beatified on March 17, 1963, and canonized on September 14, 1975. She left an enduring legacy, which made Catholic education available for needy pupils. Popular devotion acclaimed St. Elizabeth Ann Seton as patron of Catholic schools because of her pioneer role in education. We conclude this podcast with a prayer from Pope Francis in the Year of Mercy in 2016. And although the official Year of Mercy concluded two years ago, its wisdom still has the power to inspire our faith. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the visible face of the invisible Father, of the God who manifests his power above all by forgiveness and mercy. Let the church be your visible face in the world, its Lord risen and glorified. You willed that your ministers would also be clothed in weakness in order that they may feel compassion for those in ignorance and error. Let everyone who approaches them feel sought after, loved, and forgiven by God. Send your spirit and consecrate every one of us with its anointing so that the Jubilee of Mercy may be a year of grace from the Lord, and your church, with renewed enthusiasm, may bring good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives and the oppressed, and restore sight to the blind. We ask this through the intercession of Mary, Mother of Mercy, you who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. A final thought for us to consider prayerfully following the guidance of this fifth beatitude on mercy. We can ask ourselves, as Father Jim Keenan suggests, will we be merciful, be willing to enter lovingly into the chaos of another who is suffering? How is God calling you to be the presence of God's mercy on earth?